Hey everybody, thanks for joining us at the Central and Janesville podcast. Please remember to check us out on centraljanesville.com throughout the week. We're excited for wherever God's got you at right now, and we hope this message brings you a little closer. Thanks. I remember the first summer I was finally tall enough to ride the American Eagle at Six Flags. Uh, my grandpa used to take us every summer, and, and I always wanted to ride the big roller coasters. Um, but I was too short until that summer. Um, I was so excited, and I kind of felt like I was going to pee my pants a little. Do you, do you remember the feeling when you were getting on your first big roller coaster? The mix of adrenaline and nausea, it was intoxicating. I, I remember my grandpa kind of chuckling while we waited in line as I sort of shifted from foot to foot. Um, and then, and then the click, 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 as we inched our way up that first huge drop. And, and there was that moment of panic on our way up where I honestly thought, wait, this is a huge mistake. But by then it was too late. There was no stopping it. We were going down that drop whether I liked it or not. And then the, the train just kind of hung up there on the top for what felt like 10 minutes, but was probably just a, a split second. And then the moment finally came. That weightless descent from what feels like 10 miles high. It lasted an eternity, but it also sent shockwaves of adrenaline through my system that drove out any fear I had. And by the time we had gotten to the bottom of that drop, the rush of pure joy that swept over me was like nothing I'd ever felt in my short life. Pure joy. I, I asked myself this week when in my life I had experienced pure joy. And, and this is the moment that came to mind. Everything that existed in the world was pushed out by the excitement and accomplishment and relief I felt at the bottom of that drop. It was pure joy. And that's how James starts the verses we're looking at today in the first chapter of the letter he wrote to Jewish Christians all over the world. Consider it pure joy, my brothers. Now that sounds like he's about to say something wonderful. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, when you get to the bottom of the drop on a roller coaster. Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you find a $5 bill in the pocket of your pants. Uh, consider it pure joy, my brothers, when the Packers beat the Vikings. It's got to be something like that, right? I mean, it's got to be something great. Nope. Let's see what James says we should consider pure joy. He says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. Now, maybe you've heard this, this verse a bunch of times, um, so it doesn't really hit you as strange, but I, I gotta say, I hope James didn't say something like this to his friend who maybe suffered a loss. Hey man, I know your wife died in childbirth, but you should feel pure joy right now. Kind of insensitive. I mean, I guess I could see saying something like, um, hey, trials are hard, but they don't last forever. Or maybe even, um, you know, sometimes, Sometimes we just got to suck it up and make it through the hard times. But what the heck does James mean when he says we're supposed to consider it pure joy whenever we face trials of many kinds? I mean, maybe it means that, 
maybe it means he led a really charmed life. He must never have been through anything really bad, or he wouldn't talk about having pure joy in the middle of it. You ever wonder that about people? Oh, they're all smiles because they've never really had something to cry about? Maybe that was the kind of person that James was. Yeah, not so much. Uh, In Acts chapter 8, right after Stephen, who was James' friend, right after he was stoned to death, things in James' life got turned upside down. Here's what it says. On that day, the day that Stephen was stoned, on that day a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem. Saul began to destroy the church. Going from house to house, he dragged off both men and women and put them in prison. And guess who the leader of the church in Jerusalem was. That's right. It was James. And and this happened long before he wrote this letter that we're studying. He, He watched the people he loved harassed, hauled out of their homes, put in prison, and sometimes even put to death. He knew what it meant. What, he knew what it meant to live under the weight of terror. Terror for himself, terror for the people he loved. And so when James says, consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, he's not talking about a hangnail. He's, talking, he's not talking about the guy who cut you off. He's talking about the real thing. He's talking about when you lose your job and you don't know how you're going to provide for your family. He's talking about trials like when you get a scary medical diagnosis. He's talking about real, painful things. So, so let's read on and see if we can get a glimpse into what James means when he talks about pure joy. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, oh, what's it going to be? It's got to be something good, right? I mean, if it's, if it's going to take the trials I've got, these terrible and awful things, and bring pure joy, it's got to be amazing. Maybe it's money. Oh. I hope it's money. I could use some new toys. Or, or maybe it's just like general success. That would be nice. Um, I hope it's not just like jewels in your crown for when you get to heaven because I don't think that'll buy me a new iPhone. Okay, let's see what trials and testing of your faith produces that brings pure joy. He says, because you know that the testing of your faith produces, wait for it, perseverance. What? Perseverance doesn't make me feel pure joy. It doesn't make me feel like I just got to the bottom of the drop on the roller coaster. Perseverance just makes me feel tired. Like I just got a second job that I don't get paid for. I mean, I know, I, I know that it's a really good skill to have, and I'm not, I'm not disagreeing that it's a good thing. But it still feels weird that it's, it's supposed to be something that I consider pure joy. Well, let's, let's keep reading. We just, we, we just have one more sentence to look at today, and it brings the whole thing together. James says, Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. You see, perseverance 
isn't the end result. It's just the pit stop along the way. Trials and testing of your faith, they produce perseverance. And if we let perseverance finish its work, we will be mature and complete, not lacking anything. So so let's take this last sentence in two chunks because each one is super important. And let's start with what it means to let perseverance finish its work. It actually makes me think of what the, the world is going through right now. It's, it's taking perseverance like we've never before needed to make it through this pandemic. It's taking wisdom on the part of every single person, from scientists to government officials to medical professionals, all the way down to schmucks like you and me. Every day, we are making decisions based on spotty evidence, trying to balance different needs and desires against the risk of maybe contracting or spreading the disease, but we are also battling the reality that we are freaking sick of this thing. And we want to get life back to normal. We want to hang out with the people that we miss. We want to get back to work. I desperately want to cuddle my nieces and nephews and have my daughters over without having to social distance. You see, perseverance is a struggle. We desperately want to push our way through the pain and get to the other side as fast as possible. But James tells us to let perseverance finish its work. You know, when I lost my dad about a year and a half ago, I really just wanted to pretend like everything was okay. I mean, sure, I was sad, but I honestly didn't want to live in that sadness. It was, it was just painful, and I felt like grieving uh, was the same thing as sort of wallowing in self-pity. So I stuffed it down. I got on with work and family and friends and all the stuff that I fill my life with so I didn't have to slow down and listen to the war that was raging on inside of me. And it worked for me until it didn't. All of a sudden, I started just getting angry out of nowhere. And I never really had much of a temper, but I lost control of my emotions. And as a pastor, that really doesn't work for me. And so I did what I told countless other people to do over the years. I started seeing a counselor whose name was James, by the way, fitting for today, I think. And the first thing, the first time that I I met James, I, I brought my type A, let's get this thing done self to the session. I basically said, I am all in. I just need you to let me know what I need to do to get back in control of my emotions. I will do the hard work. I'll be like the best client you've ever had. Just tell me how to fix myself. And James laughed. He almost mocked me, which made me like him even more. He said, Eric, there isn't some five-step plan to fix you. And then he told me that we were going to talk every week and that over time he would model for me how to live in my grief. And he did. And I am, mostly. I'm learning that perseverance doesn't mean pushing through my grief. It means learning to live with it. And I'm still learning. Last week, I came across a letter I had written to my dad in those early days, and I quickly set it aside because I didn't want to feel those emotions again. It's hard just to be okay with living in the struggle. And this virus doesn't care that we're sick of it. It doesn't care that we want to push our way through it. We have 
to persevere. We have to learn to live with it, whatever that means. But when it comes to trials of many kinds, James tells us that if, if we are willing to let perseverance finish its work, if we're willing to live in it instead of rushing right through it, the reward is huge. Perseverance gets us to shalom. Now, James doesn't actually use the word shalom because he's writing in Greek, and shalom is a Hebrew word. He uses the Greek words for maturity, completion, not lacking anything. But the reality is that all of that just describes what he would have known his entire life in Hebrew as shalom. Now, scholars often translate that word as peace, but it it really doesn't do it justice. Shalom is a sense that all is right with the world. No matter what is happening around us, whether I lost my dad or you lost your job or there's a crazy virus turning the world upside down, we can know that we are in the right place at the right time under the protection and grace and love of God. And that's what James meant when he called it pure joy. He wasn't talking about roller coasters. He was talking about the joy that comes with the realization that the God of the universe is at work on our behalf. He was talking about the peace that passes all understanding. If you're watching this right now and you feel like everything in you is looking to push through your pain as fast as possible and get to the other side, if you are wanting to stuff your emotions and pretend that everything's hunky-dory even when the world is falling apart around you, I'd like to remind you what James says. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete not lacking anything. You see, Jesus knew about perseverance. He knew that the cross was coming long before it finally did. He knew what he would endure for the sake of his mission. He didn't shortcut it. He didn't try to find a way around it. He let perseverance finish its work so that his ministry would be complete, not lacking anything. And so, with the weight of the salvation of the world hanging around his neck, he went to Jerusalem where they knew, he knew they would would kill him. With the the terror of, of crucifixion weighing him down, he allowed Judas to betray him. With the specter of being mocked and abandoned, sitting right before him, he prayed, not my will, but yours be done. And he gave up his life on the cross for you and for me. He let perseverance finish its work so that we might be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And so I'd like to invite you right now to take the elements of communion that you hopefully have before you. And as you eat the bread, remember his body that was broken for you. And as you drink the cup, remember his blood that was spilled for the forgiveness of our sins. So let's take a few minutes to meditate on on his perseverance and decide to let perseverance finish its work in us as well. Thanks again for joining us on the Central and Janesville podcast. 
Remember to check us out at centraljanesville.com. Have a great week.